I'm going to handle, traditionally this is called Vision Sunday. And uh, this is kind of where I just feel like we share a little bit about where I think God is pointing us as a body. It's good to have vision, amen? It's good to know that we have a, a plan and a track. But normally each year I feel like there's three or four things that God wants us to do corporately. And, but it's just a little bit different this year. And uh, I am hoping and praying that really the only mandate, and it's not really a mandate, it should just be something that each and every one of us wants to do, is that we should all be reading through the Bible. Amen? Amen? Amen. And uh, that should just be the bare minimum, is that we should every day, uh, we should be reading through the Bible. And by the end of the year, we should be rolling into Revelation like we did last year, you know, the end of last year. And, uh, and then pick it back up first thing, January 1st, and starting over. That is just a habit that as a believer that we should have. Now, that by no means just limits us as to how much of the Bible we should be reading. That's just something that we're doing. If each one of us, if we're all reading the same thing at the same time, we're going to produce this thing called agreement. Because we're all reading the same thing at the same time. It's going to produce a little bit of an atmosphere of faith so that um, we're all kind of on the same page. You know, they were all in one accord. They were all in that upper room for an extended period of time together. They got in one accord. This is how we get into one accord is we all get into the word together. So the more that we do that, the easier it's going to be for that corporate anointing, more for miracles, healings, that type of thing, because we're all doing it together. So I just highly want to encourage everyone to do that. But as far as you know, fasting or giving and all those types of things. I really don't have anything substantial from the Lord about doing that. Yes, should we all be doing some sort of a media fast? Absolutely. But I, I don't have a thus saith the Lord for you. I'm going to leave that up to you. But when I talked about getting rid of the distractions earlier, the media is the number one distraction that we have. The phones and the watches and what we have, it is by far the most distracting thing that there is. It is a robber of our time. It's a robber of our strength. Uh, it robs our emotions. Uh, we are led by whatever that phone says or what it doesn't say. Um, you know, people get upset. Someone texts you and you don't text them right back. They get mad. That's rude. I'll get back to you when we have time to get back to you. Amen. But do you see what it does? It's, 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 it's added this whole new thing that we were never supposed to have. So this is kind of where I feel like the Lord, I just saw this in the Word, I saw it months ago, and this is kind of where I want us to go together. So you ready? You got your Bibles? Hold it up. Shake it around. Look at all that dust. The glory's here. No, no. Shake it around. Make the devil mad. Amen. You're holding in your hand the most powerful weapon. I mean, it's more power than a nuclear bomb, what you have in your hand right now. You have right now in your lap the words of life. You have with you right now Jesus himself, the word. Every answer to every question is in that book. You'll never be alone. You'll never be depressed. You'll never be anxious. Why not? Because you have that word. Amen. That's the most powerful thing that we have. It truly is the sword of the spirit. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verses 2 and 3. 
And it says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. The three things that we're going to do this year, that we're going to work on, that we're going to major on, that we're going to preach on, that we're going to teach on, can you put the verse back up, please? Is number one, our work of faith. Number two, our labor of love. And number three, our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those three things, we are going to be like this church in Thessalonians, where we're going to be known for our work of faith, our labor of love, and our hope in Jesus Christ. Now, nothing that I'm going to say you have not already heard before. Okay? I'm going to be preaching and teaching some of the same things that I've preached and taught for years. And guess what? That's okay. Notice how many times Jesus said, and again I say. And again I say. And again I say. So there's nothing wrong with being repetitive when it comes to these things. These are the foundational things. So I'm going to go through a real brief outline this morning of these three three things. But really, it's going to take us to one key verse. And if I had one bit of vision for 2022, we just got to make sure that we get to this one verse at the end of my sermon. So will you stay with me? Stay awake. Amen? Some of you get those masks so high now, it's hard to see what's going on. Kidding. Amen? But let's go together. Number one, our work of faith. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. A work of faith is a work characterized by faith and prompted by faith, such as faith alone could have enabled you to accomplish it. It is vital for us as a body to be believing for someone or something. You do not have a choice in that area. We have to be exercising our faith, and when I'm talking about faith, and when I'm talking about a work of faith, it has to be something that you cannot accomplish on your own. This is the season to believe for the biggest knucklehead in your life. This is the season to believe for that person who you thought there is no way they would ever get saved. They have walked from God, run from God, hated God, been rebellious. They've done everything opposite of what I have believed. This is the season for the hard things to get done but it has to be a work of faith. Now there are so many things in that that we could unpack and I'm not gonna take a whole lot of time unpacking what that means. But what it does mean for us as a body is that each and every one of us should be believing God for something. And I think you've been here long enough to know how to believe God for something. If you don't know how, then you need to come talk to me, and I will go over it with you again. But there is a process to faith. Faith is progressive. Faith grows. We should be increasing more and more. Your 
life should be better today, this year. 2022 should be the best year that you've ever had until 2023 rolls around. And then 2023 should be the best year that you've ever had. We have the good life. Don't let someone talk you into a Christianity of laboring and working and striving and surviving and just making it through and, oh, Lord, let me just hear that trumpet blow and I can leave all my worries behind. Listen to me. The rapture of the church is not the great escape. It's the great reward. We're not just trying to just somehow, listen to me, our lives, this is so big in me right now that you should have a great life. You should have a life that is full of blessing and anointing and grace. You should have a life where you are growing and increasing. And yes, trials and temptations come. Omicron, I call Omicron the destroyer of plans. It has changed so many plans that people have had. How many of you have had your plans impacted by Omicron? I was going somewhere, but I wasn't. I was on my way to the airport, but I couldn't. I was going to my family's house, but I didn't. That might have been the grace of God that you didn't go to your family's house. But you know what? Because, and I'm, I'm pointing to me, because I conformed myself to what they said about Omicron and didn't transform it, I was subject to it. When they start prophesying Omicron, Rho, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega, whichever one they come after, you impressed that I knew that? That's the only thing I learned in college when I pledged my fraternity was the Greek alphabet. That's the only thing I left from Texas Tech in 1984. But immediately when these prophecies from false prophets start coming about, here it comes, it's going to shut down schools, it's going to shut down economies, we do one of two things. We either go, yeah, man, that's going to be bad. I start conforming myself to what they're saying. But what we need to start being and what we have to start doing, guys, all of us, is we have to start transforming it with our words. And we have to immediately begin to out loud prophesying back to it what it's not going to do. When they keep telling you what it is going to do, you have got to get mad and get angry and point at that TV or point at your neighbor or point at your coworker. Look, folks, it's affecting vaccinated and unvaccinated. It is no respecter of persons, and that should just show you that the only way that we're going to get this back where it belongs is through faith. We've given it too much of a place. Here's the bottom line. It has conditioned us. It has conditioned us where we automatically start buying toilet paper when they start talking about Whoever, I think Charmin started that rumor that, you know, you better get toilet paper when this thing happens. I'm like, if that's what's going to happen, we're all in a lot of trouble. But we can't let this stuff condition us. Does anybody know anybody that went through the Great Depression? A grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, anybody? Do you notice how it conditioned people when it came out? 
where they turned every light off, they took the batteries out of the remote controls, they saved everything, they had all the wrappers from the bread, you know, in a drawer, they never threw anything away. Why, why did they do that? Because they had been conditioned by not having enough to, bear, to try and hold on to everything that they had. Even in the times of abundance, even when there was more than enough, they still held on because they had been conditioned to save like that. There's nothing wrong with saving, but we cannot let this disease condition us. We cannot let it, we, we will not, we are going to have church. We are going to evangelize. We are going to go to the nations. Do you understand? We are not going to let this disease dictate what the church can do. And that is a good place where we can start with our faith. We need to use our faith against this disease. We need to speak to it in the name of Jesus, that it has no hold on me, that it has no control over me, that it cannot, when it comes in contact with my body, it is DOA. It is dead on arrival in the name of Jesus. Now, you can't talk yourself into that. You gotta have revelation, which means you gotta go back to the book, which means we gotta get back into Isaiah 53 fresh like we've never seen it before. We gotta get a fresh vision of Jesus. We gotta get a fresh vision of the cross and everything that took place on that cross, everything that was dealt with, Jesus took all of those stripes, and in those stripes was Omicron. He didn't have to come back down and submit himself to someone else to be hit one more time. Oh, Jesus, we found one more. Let us give you one more stripe. He did it fully. He did it completely. It's been totally dealt with. It is under our feet. But we're not doing what we need to do to get on the other side of it. It is, listen, we're a Sunday church. It's a 24-7 devil. He doesn't take weekends off. He doesn't take days off. He works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're going to have to match that veracity with our faith and push back. Amen? Amen. So, we have to have a work of faith, an energized faith, and a faith that is active, a faith that is living, a faith that is production, that produces good works. We need to be using our faith right now to change this world. Politics will not change this world. Presidents will not change this world. You and I will change this world when we use our faith and learn how to believe God to see the victory in every area. I heard someone say this morning, a president's not going to change this nation. It's people having their hearts changed individually that's going to change this nation. If we would just do our job and evangelize and tell people about Jesus, we'll fix all this other stuff. It will get taken care of. Trust me, pornography industry will get taken care of if you get everybody born again. When you get all the people that are involved in it born again, set free, healed and delivered, guess what? It won't be there anymore. There are some things that we have just taken because they've been here for so long as if they are supposed to be here, and they're not. We have the power. We have the authority. God gave it to us. Who's baptized in the Holy Ghost? Whew. What can the Holy Ghost do? Everything. Everything. We just have to use it. Amen? 
we have to have what's called effectual faith. For 2022, I encourage us all to have, and you want to write that word down, effectual faith. Philemon 1.6, out of the New Living Translation says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. And I am praying that you will put into action, that is effectual faith. Effectual faith is faith that we are putting into action. Can I just ask you, what can you believe God for this year? What can, you, what can you dare to believe God for this year? What's something that's so far out of the realm of possibility for you? Who's believing God? Who's, whose company is having layoffs, but you want to believe God for a promotion? Who's believing God for a, child, a lost child to come home? Who's believing God for increase? Amen? Who's believing? I mean, each one of us, every one of us, there is something that we should be using our faith on right now. And when you will start doing that, you will start growing in the things of God. It is wonderful to come to church. It is wonderful to worship. It is wonderful to live a Christian life, but there's more to it. We have to start using our faith on purpose to start seeing the changes that we want. Quit just going along with whatever happens, happens. Don't say, I would rather just, you know, it's easier just to live off of welfare than it is to believe God for more. Folks, we're going to stand before God. Actually, we're going to stand before the Word when we get to heaven. And we're going to find out how much of that Word did I conform to? This is the Word that's going to judge us. You understand that, right? His Word of Jesus is going to stand before us. And He's going to ask us, How much of me? did you conform to? And how much did you not? And that's the stuff that's going to burn up. Awful serious in this Presbyterian church this morning. This is, games is over. Playtime is over. Just business as usual, done. It's over. This is a new season. And we're going we're gonna to do this thing and we're going to do it on purpose and we're going to do it in faith. What we have to ask ourselves, and I want each one of us to do this, will you please do this with me? Will you please take your life and examine it and see how much of my life am I living by faith and how much of my life am I living by the flesh? How much of my life right now am I really living by faith? Am I truly trusting and believing God for? And how much of it am I making happen all on my own? It's frightening. Because we call ourselves the faith people. We call ourselves the people of faith. But yet I'm making the decisions. I'm making the choices. I'm deciding. But am I making those choices and decisions by faith? When it comes to my health, Who's making the decision of the choices? Last week for me, it was Tylenol, it was Advil, it was Advil cold and sinus. Those were my healers. I could not get enough of them because I felt that bad. It took me till last Sunday to crawl in where I could get my Bible for a couple of hours and get my faith back up. 
this thing just laid bare and showed me exactly where I was in my faith. Completely. What do I really believe? Do I really believe that by his stripes I'm healed? Am I trying to live a life of balance between faith and unbelief? Like, I'm going to believe you up to this point, but I, you know, still going to go get 27 tests and, you know, just in case. Do I really believe that by his stripes I'm healed, where I'm willing to stand on the word and receive my healing however long it takes? Or am I just going to keep running after whatever the quick folks? Come on. What are we believing for? We have to believe that by his stripes we're healed. Amen? we got to have a fresh revelation of that. We have to. We've got to get out the mixture. Look, we are the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. You know, there are people in third world nations that do not have the options or opportunities that we have. You get a headache, good luck with that. I have Advil. If I get a headache, I don't even have to think about not having something. I can, I can go to a grocery store and have an abundance of everything that I need. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with those things. But do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Is am I putting faith in God first? Because he might tell you to go take the Advil, go take the Tylenol, go to the doctor, all those things. There's nothing wrong with them. But am I asking him first? When it comes to my finances, am I asking him first? Am I making him first place through my tithe? Or am I conning him? I'm tipping him. Here a little, there, there a little bit. Give to the guy on the side of the road. Makes me feel better. If I trust God with my finances, then I'm a tither. If I don't, I'm not. There's no other way around that. We either trust God or we don't with our finances. Serious this morning. Thank you, Lord. Number two, aren't you glad we're getting away from number one? Labor of love. Labor of love. And I'm excited about this one because this one's going to be a little bit different. What I felt like the Lord said to me as far as a labor of love is not just a love where we concentrate on him loving us or us loving one another, but it's a love that moves outside of these four walls. Our love has to move outside of these four walls into our communities. They have to. We have to get out to where the people are with this love. That's why it's called a labor of love because there's going to be some work involved in doing it. Our love, our light was not made just to shine on a Sunday morning with other believers. It was made to shine in the darkness. Our words, our life, our testimony, all these things they were made to help draw other people to Jesus Christ. And so I don't have to just love in here. It's hard to love some people in here, isn't it? You can say yes. But it's much harder to love people out there. And so a love this morning that will translate outside of these four walls. The labor to which love prompts and which voluntary assumes and endures trouble and pain for the salvation of others. I'm talking about a sacrificial love. I'm talking about a love that doesn't just drive by somebody and go, oh, isn't that bad? But that love that actually reaches out a hand and tries to help. But you have to be spirit-led in this. Do you understand? 
I love what uh, Pastor Alan Shook told us when he talked about helping people. He said, made this statement. He says, I help everybody that God tells me to. That's what our motto needs to be. We need to put ourselves in a position where we can help everybody that God tells us to. He's not gonna ask you to help everybody that comes your way. He's not gonna ask you to give away everything you always have and you never have anything. What he is going to require of us though is when he does prompt us, when he does move us, when he does ask us, when he does put us in that position and you feel that prompting, step out and do it. Be a blessing where you can. Nothing screams the gospel more than somebody that gives a blessing to somebody who doesn't deserve it and doesn't expect it. It will totally, you can placate somebody. You can devastate somebody with kindness. The meanest, most vicious person in the world, but you throw, you give them something, all of a sudden they're like, I do not understand what you are doing. It totally disarms. The love of God totally disarms the sinner because it's unexpected. That's not how people react to them normally. Normally they just fight back, they hit back, they respond in kind. But when we as a body step out in love, and this isn't easy stuff. This is stuff that we all have to grow in together. Amen? Are you willing to do it with me? I like this. It's not making an effort to love, it's growing in love. I don't want you to make an extra effort to love somebody, I want you to grow in love. And when you grow in love, then it will begin to affect everybody else around you. When you go into the word and you, and, and, and here's how we're gonna do it, okay? Here's where this love's gonna come from. Do not work yourself into the hysteria of affection but take into your mind and heart the cross, which will set free the frozen and imprisoned fountain of your affections and cause them to flow out abundantly in sweet water. If we, I'm not asking us to get up and try and work something up so that we can do it. I'm not saying that you have to get up tomorrow. Did anybody love going to the gym January 1st? All right, shut up, Luke. Did anybody? Did you love, there were, okay, people that have never worked out before got up on January 1st, put on whatever clothes they had the last time they worked out 27 years ago, made their way to Planet Fitness, and they begin to work out for the first time. Now, maybe that first day they were excited, but by day two, you're a little sore, you're a little tired, you don't wanna do it. You're trying to work yourself into doing this. It never works that way. We have to change the way that we think about it. So what I want us to do is just take a few minutes even right now, and I want you to think about the cross. And I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. I want you to think about the beatings that he took and the stripes that he took and the agony and all the things that he went through just so that you would have a chance to be saved. And when you will put your eyes on that cross and on what he did, it is easy to love other people. Because of the forgiveness that he gave me, I can forgive many. Because of what he did for me, 
a former blasphemer and an enemy of the state, but yet he loved me enough to save me. How, how, what's greater than that? What, how does that keep me from loving somebody? So don't worry about trying to work yourself up into loving more. Don't get up tomorrow and I'm going to love more today. That's great. But you got to have a goal and you got to have a focus. And if you will focus on the cross, if you will go into the Word and you will look, because we're getting ready to, believe it or not, we'll head into the Easter season. And we'll start looking at everything sacrificially of what Jesus Christ did, what God did by giving his own son, his own son. He didn't send his worst enemy. He sent his number one son for you. I have no excuses. I have zero excuses against that. What can I say? He gave his best. So when I think on the best, that motivates me to go share that with someone else who was the worst. Amen? So our labor of love. And then finally, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in another way, hope in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel very strongly that we're going to do a lot of teaching on end times this year. That we are going to talk about the rapture of the church. That we're going to talk about the second coming. That we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. And guess what? If you read Revelation chapter 1, there's a blessing for those that read that prophecy. So we are going to spend some time because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus is coming back very soon. And the church has to be ready. It has to be ready. There are several reasons why God made a rapture where the church doesn't know. It was supposed to keep us where it kept us going because we don't know when the master's returning. Amen. We've lost a little bit of that because we've been told our whole lives that we're in the last days and that he's coming and all those things. Great. Guess what? He's even closer today than he was yesterday. Amen. And we have to start acting like that church. We have to be patient in our hope. We got to start getting our eyes on the return of the Lord. That's exciting, isn't it? How many of us really spend a lot of time focusing on what those things are about the rapture of the church? I used to think about the rapture every test day. Lord, I've got a biology test. Let the rapture come. Not that I would have gone, but at least I would have gotten out of the biology test. Jesus talks to the Jews about the second coming. Paul talks to the church about the rapture. Two different things. And when we get those two, the second coming and the rapture, when we get them cattywampus or mixed up, it brings a lot of confusion. But I believe that there's perfect order in the way that Jesus wants to do this. And the next thing that we as the church are waiting on is his appearing. That's the next thing. And guess what? Every single prophecy has been fulfilled. Every prophecy. There is nothing left to be fulfilled before the return of the Lord. So we are in that season. So that should give us an urgency about our brothers and sisters, about our family members. It should give us an urgency about going out and doing the Great Commission. Telling people about Jesus. Now is the time. Amen. I don't care how you tell them. 
but they got to know. They got to know the truth. We got to do our job, and then we're out of here. Amen? Amen. So I'll give you one more verse, and then we're done. But this is, this is where we're going, and this is what I'm, what I'm really hoping for for this year. And um, I've spent a lot of time in this verse. Um, I want you to go to Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to end with this. Are you getting something out of the Word today? This is what I want West Houston Christian Center to be, okay? More than anything, this is what I want it to be. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We as a body, this is what made this church, the Berean church, so strong. And the Bible called them noble-minded or fair-minded. It's that everything that Paul preached, they went for themselves and studied the scriptures to make sure that they were so. I am begging you to get into the word for yourself on all the things that I'm preaching and teaching and study them out for yourself to prove whether they're right or not. Listen to me. Poor teaching leads to poor thinking. I had a testimony of a man who had gotten wonderfully and beautifully born again. Beautifully born again, wonderful, loved God, but was in a church, and he wanted the Holy Spirit, but this church preached that you had to tarry for the Holy Spirit. Is anybody familiar with that teaching on tarrying? You familiar with it? So when you had to tarry, because actually that's what Jesus had him do only in the first part of Acts. It's not for us. But tarrying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you come down front to church and you beg God for the Holy Spirit. And you stay at that altar an hour, two hours, five hours, however it takes, and you repeat that cycle over and over and over and over. Over and over. Begging God for the Holy Ghost. Waiting for the Holy Ghost tarrying for the Holy Ghost. What are you doing, brother? I'm tarrying, waiting. Now, how are we supposed to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Bye. Now, in my mind, when I heard that testimony, I'm like, God, here's a guy who sincerely loves you. He's sincerely going after you. He's not asking you for a bad thing, he's asking you for the Holy Spirit. Why didn't you just give it to him? And he said, because my word cannot go higher than the traditions of men. This man had received poor teaching. Because of his poor teaching, it kept him from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Had they gone back themselves and studied out the word for themselves, they would have found out that all you have to do is ask. 
we can have the greatest intentions. We can have, you know, we could have been in great churches that preached and taught a lot of great things. But if we were taught incorrectly, that poor teaching, the Word of God cannot overcome. Okay, I'll give you a verse. Okay, you asked for it. I don't have it written down. I'll have it for you. What's the one about with the Word of God, with the traditions of men? Somebody Google it for me real quick. Who's got it? The Word of God, traditions of men make the Word of God of no effect. That's the scripture. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. Dum, dum, dum. Anybody? What? Mark 7 13. Put it up. Who's speaking in Mark 7 13? Who's speaking? Jesus. Making the words of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down and many such things you do. Which means we think that there's nothing that can stop the word of God. Yes, there is. Our own religious traditions. If there are certain teachings and thinkings, and I know when I talked about the sovereignty of God, it ruffled a lot of feathers. But if you are held in that belief that God is in control of everything and it's his will that everything that's happening in the earth is happening, you'll never rise above that. You're stuck. You're right there. Then there's never a chance for us to ever exercise my faith. Why pray? Why do anything? If everything that happens is God's will, then why should I do anything if I don't have a choice? He's already made the choice for me. No, no, I'm saying he gave me a choice. He gave you a choice. Amen. So what I want to encourage us all to do, will you do this with me this year? Is no matter what I'm preaching, no matter who you're listening to, because I know you're not all listening just to me. You need to go back for yourself. I don't care how slick somebody teaches. I don't care how charismatic they are. I don't care what they give you. I don't care. They could be the most hospitable people the world has ever seen. But if they are giving you poor teaching, it is producing poor thinking. And that poor thinking will keep you in a position where you will never experience the fullness of God. Me too. You got to do it for me. You got to pastor everything I just preached. You need to go back and listen to it and get the scriptures. And am I saying, and if you, if you find something where I'm wrong, tell me. That's the problem. People leave and they tell me that they don't like what I'm preaching, but they never tell me that. Talk to me. I'm unapproachable, but I'll try. <laughs> My wife says, you're kind of unapproachable. Good. No, I'm approachable. I'm sorry. Do you see where we're going today? Let's all stand up. Hey, we can have a little wishy-washy, bless me, milk toast, 
you know, Jesus was the little lamb and, you know, be a good person and, and all that kind of stuff. But I got to stand before God for you. And if I didn't tell you the truth, then I'm in trouble. What you do with this is up to you. But it's my job, Michelle's job, my parents' job to preach and teach the truth in love. What I'm saying today, I'm saying because I love you and I want to see you reach your full potential today. Amen? Now, special bonus, if you are 60 and up, 60 and up, and you are going to the meal, I'm going to invite you to step out now and you can head into the fellowship hall. Pays to be 60 around here, doesn't it? So moving forward this year, we're going to be preaching and teaching on those three things primarily, faith, love, and the end times. Amen? We're going to be looking to do some extra Sunday school classes, and I want to do whatever it takes to get the word out to our people and to people in the world. Amen? Hallelujah. If you have super kids, you are dismissed to go get those super kids right now. And those are back to my right, your left. And everybody else, we know that Jesus is Lord. We love you, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.